Hi everybody, welcome to another episode of the Feel Your Phantom Podcast. My name is Saint. And Jim, I am. Jim, you are am being. How you doing, buddy? Yes. You know, uh, we were talking about this a little bit before we started recording, but um, yeah, we're both, uh, it, we had a parallel experience yesterday, you and I. <laughs> we sure did. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I know... I can only speak for myself, and, and I do frequently and at volume, um, but I, I decided randomly to delve into my garage and unbury my workout equipment. Now, we have a nice Nordic Track exercise bike and a nice Nordic Track, uh, what do you call it, a steppers? Not a stepper, what's a glider? I don't know. Like an elliptical? Yeah, there you go, elliptical, that's the word I'm looking for. Yeah, that's it, dig it. And uh, they were given to us by uh, my father-in-law oh, three, four years ago. And they got subsequently buried in all of the schmutz in the garage. And the garage just became kind of a catch-all for everything in the house that we didn't have room for. And uh, so they just got buried. I mean, not in the stereotypical sense where it's like, oh, it's become a clothes hanger and all this. But uh, just got buried in between boxes and junk and and the garage became rather untenable so I've been promising my nurse my diabetic nurse who I talk to uh, bi-weekly that I would get on digging all this out and start working out not working out like get swole you get swole but you know burning off some calories uh, on a day-to-day basis and, and try to work that in so I've been promising her that for months now and so finally yesterday I, I powered down an energy drink uh, before I took my daughter to the school and then I realized hey I have all this energy I might as well just strike while the iron's hot gratuitous amounts of energy and no one's in the house and so I threw on some music and I just started digging in and you know my brain goes automatically to Tetris mode I play Tetris a lot and 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 so the, the desire to fit box A into slot B and kind of maximize space like that when I get the opportunity I really enjoy it I'm, I'm pretty okay at it but uh, it was a lot it was a lot and you know doing dumb shit that I could have done like 10 years ago that I can't pull off now like I have a, a countertop refrigerator that I got from Starbucks uh, as kind of a going away present when they were shutting down their warehouse and uh, so it's still in the box. It hasn't even been opened. And it's one of those uh, countertop coolers that you see in the stores that sell the frappuccinos and yeah. the, the canned energy drinks and whatnot. Uh, and so it's sitting in my garage waiting for me to get a game room so I can plaster it with game stickers, stickers and just have something cool for beer and energy drinks. But uh, it's 120 pounds. And I thought, well, I can lift this. If I lift it and lever, like pivot it, I can slide it up and onto a table that's in there and, and save a lot of space. Uh, no, I can't. No, I cannot. <laughs> no, the hell I cannot. As it turns out, I am not that guy. That was a decade ago. So uh, I finished up and realized I was feeling rather feeble. And so a uh, hot shower before I went to work and I felt okay. And then waking up this morning, I'm like, oh, yeah, no, you don't. You feel like shit. So, 
Uh, I, yeah. I, I overdid it. I mean, the result was great. I got the end result I was looking for. Uh, so that's good, but uh, I don't... But unburying the workout equipment was in and of itself a workout. Indeed. Now you, uh, for quite a different reason, had kind of a similar experience as you were talking about. Uh, you want to get into that yeah. a little bit? I also had quite a day of heavy lifting in the garage. Um, yeah, as we talked about last week, I was in Pennsylvania um, kind of loading up a box truck. Um, so that was day one of... of uh, of arduous undertakings in a garage. Uh, we, we put um, Steph's stuff onto a, a, a box truck that we rented at the other end in Bethlehem. And then uh, over the weekend, I drove about 850 miles back home. And then the truck had to be back at a certain point. Actually, it wasn't even due until today. I had another couple hours as of the time of recording today to, uh, <clears throat> to get it back, but I just didn't want to wait that long. And it was uh, one of those things where I thought, well, loading this up on on, on the, the, the the front end, we had some help from from Steph's family, but um, unloading on the other end, it was just going to be the two of us. And I thought, well, we might need some extra help. So I, I I gave my niece a call, which you would think, why would you call your niece? But if you know my niece, uh, she's uh, she's she actually is the manager of a Harbor Freight, and she is an Amazon in the absolute best possible way. Uh, I look her in the eye, and I'm six foot six in boots. Um, <clears throat> she is uh, she's a very powerful lady, so she was able to uh, to help us get all the stuff unloaded off the truck, and we put it in the garage and got things squared away and stored for the winter. And then we're going to hunker down here for the winter, and then um, look to, uh, to to try and get another truck, uh, probably in the spring, maybe March, April, somewhere in that neighborhood, and then get stuff loaded back onto it, and then move it where it's eventually going to go, which is a place we haven't found yet. But we're going to keep looking over the winter and figure that out. And then once we get that squared away, we're going to do it all again, but uh, without all the driving in the in the in the interim, because we're going to stick pretty close to the area. But yeah, so we both uh, sort of busted ass in the garage yesterday, lifting heavy things and moving things around, and um, woke up this morning a little bit uh, a little bit sore and feeling like, hey, maybe ten years ago this wouldn't have been so bad. But uh, I got to remember that the further that date of birth field on my driver's license recedes into the rearview mirror, the the less I. I really probably should try and put myself through. Well, I feel like shit. Oh, shit. Feeling like a saggy, massive sack of shit. Oh, shit. Big ol' motherfucking duffel bag of shit. Oh, shit. All day, all shit. Like, yeah, every time <clears> you <throat> have to spin that, that little thing to, to indicate your year of birth, it's like spinning the wheel on prices right. Like, you know, you're, you're hoping for the... The lower number, but I mean, it spins forever. Jesus yeah, that drop-down menu, you got to scroll further, and then scroll further. and then oh. scroll and then, yeah. Too much. Yeah, getting old sucks. It's better than the alternative by several orders of measure, but... Uh, That's true. But yeah. Oh, and then also, uh, I, I had a moment um, uh, when we rented the truck. Uh, I thought, well, you know, we're, we're going to get the truck and we're going to make a stop in the middle in Cleveland area. Uh, it wound up being Toledo. Um and then uh, we're going to have to leave the truck sit for a day or two. I live in Mayberry. It's not a very high crime area, but I thought, I'm going to need to get a padlock for the back of that, the, the, the roll-in garage door in the back of the truck. Right. So uh, when we went to go pick up the truck at a Home Depot in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, I ran back inside and uh, went to go get um, a padlock for the back door. Got a nice big master lock with a key on it, beefy lock, something that looks kind of intimidating. It might be hard to break into. Uh, but then I got back out to the truck and I realized, oh, this is like, this is anchored to the, the card, the anti-theft card with like a big fat chunk of plastic and I don't have anything to cut it with. And so I went back in thinking, I'll get some tin snips or, you know, some kind of like big scissors or something and, 
and uh, try and cut that off. And then I'm sitting there looking at the big wall of tools, and I see that there's a um, like a pocket knife for like $11, and the cheapest set of 10 snips is like 19 bucks. And I thought, you know what? Uh, maybe I should have a pocket knife. I mean, pretty much every guy I know of a certain age has a pocket knife. They clean their fingernails with it. You know, they cut locks off of backing, whatever. And I kind of remembered back at my band's gig in June, uh, right before we took our brief break so that our uh, one of our guitar players could go on paternity leave for a couple of months and kind of help, uh, you know, figure out what's going on with his newborn. Um, I got us a vinyl banner with our name and URL on it that I, I intended to kind of hang up on the light trees behind us when we set up. And... Uh, I got it from uh, from Vistaprint, and there was a little box to check along with the order that said, would you like some vinyl rope with this? You can actually hang this up. And I thought, yeah, why not? And it was free. They just threw it in because the banner was like 120 bucks or whatever it was. So I got the free rope with it, and then I got to the gig, and I realized I have this rope, but I got nothing to cut it with. And then our drummer, who is um, he's an engineer. He works actually for Milwaukee Tool in Milwaukee, which is a pretty macho job. And he's a pretty macho dude. He's like, oh, yeah, here you go. And he pulls a, a pocket knife out of his click, one of those lockback pocket knives. And I thought, oh, that's not his intention. And certainly it's, he's not that guy. But that's a little emasculating. I've got nothing to cut a rope with. And the engineer who works with his hands for a living and hauls all of his drums plus our sound and our lights, he's like, all right, well, here, you got your, uh, got your knife right there. So I thought, well, you know what? Maybe it's about time here at the end of my life that I become a knife guy. <laughs> so I just went in there and I got one of those little folding pocket knives. And now I have a knife in my pocket, which... You know, I guess is a thing. I won't bring it on flights if I fly, obviously. But, you know, it's going to be there. And in case I need to cut something, which there have been several times over my life when I thought, you know, I'd be handy to have. And I just never actually did it until the other day. So, I, I don't know. I guess I'm a knife guy now. One of those guys that's going to have, like, a knife in his pocket. I don't know how I feel about that. But, I, I mean, I, I guess that's where I am in my life. I've always been kind of a knife guy. Uh, and for a while it was illegal knives. And I don't know why I felt the need to carry a butterfly knife but i did i can yeah. i carried around a butterfly knife for quite a while i carried around a switchblade for quite a while uh and now i use what's called uh, assisted opening uh, which can be oh yeah they're spring-loaded and, and those are kind of illegal too depending upon your jurisdiction but uh, uh i i've got a, a physical disability of the hand that i think i could play that up for so uh, yeah mostly i just think they're cool so they are pretty cool. But, uh, yeah, so we're... If you're into that sort of thing, that's the sort of thing you'll be into. Pointy, pointy, bladey weapons I'm, I'm always been a, a fan of, so... But I wanted to make uh, an, a, an address something that uh, came up. We got a really lovely email from a listener uh, regards to last episode. And, and of course, last episode, uh, we started off me talking about uh, my dog Roxy passing and, and uh, yeah. quite emotional, but... Uh, uh, John Lampson, a listener of the program, uh, sent a very lovely email, very touching email. Uh, Johnny Lamps. Talking about... Uh, He's my boy. About that. And, and I really wanted to say uh, I really do appreciate uh, you emailing the show, John. And, and uh, uh, it, it helped. It really did. I do appreciate it. So... Yeah, because sometimes we get real, hello, is there anybody out there? <laughs> and, uh, you know, Johnny Lamps, he's he's uh, he's just one of the finest people I've ever met. And I'm not just kissing his butt because he's uh, he's written into the podcast. I met John 
uh, when I got to Minneapolis in, I want to say, 2007. And he and I very quickly realized we were kindred spirits about a lot of things. He's a very creative dude. He's uh, We were in a band together for a while called Hodgepodge. That was just tons of fun. And um, even after that whole thing kind of went away through uh, various circumstances and unfortunate things, he and I stayed in touch. And uh, he became a filmmaker, so he and I always kind of like commiserated over uh, you know the, the filmmaking, screenwriting. He participates in the uh, 48-hour film festival in Minneapolis, and he's just... An all-around great guy and a creative soul and just one of those people that, you know, you meet and you instantly know you're going to be friends for a very, very long time. What? Did we just become best friends? Yep! And uh, that is consistently proven throughout your life when even if a little bit of time goes by when you don't necessarily connect, you can pick right back up where you left off and he's just... Uh, He's just one of the greatest guys ever. We're going to need to get him on the podcast as a guest as soon as we can all decide what we'd like to talk about. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to that. And uh, uh, and and by all means, of course, we want to. We usually throw it out at the end of the show, but if you all want to uh, uh, send an email or contact us here, it's easy to do. You can hit us up on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Fuel Your Fandom. Or you can drop us an email, uh, whichever way you're more comfortable with, fuelyourfandom at gmail.com. Just whatever... Or at fyftalentbooking at gmail.com. That's a backup address. So yeah, reach out to us. And you can also find us on Instagram at at fuelyourfandom and on Twitter at fuel underscore your. However you want to reach out to us. Uh, we're, we're always happy to hear from you. And uh, we've had some, uh, some, some, some folks write in. Um, you know, uh, Matt Luria is, is great about getting a hold of us. We heard from Josh Bombach a couple of times. You got to get them still on the, on the podcast as guests. Yes. Um, you know, it's always great to hear from folks. Um, and, and to get an email from John was, was a really nice thing. So, yeah, if you want to reach out to us, please reach out to us. We love hearing from you. Absolutely. Now, here's a, I mean, we talk a lot about, you know, the, what's going on in our day-to-day lives at the beginning of the podcast. And I've rather been enjoying that. Now, here's something stupid. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so they've been trying to, to, to get to the bottom of whatever in the hell is is on my medical list of of woes lately and so i've been going in from periodically and getting checked up and getting tests run and this that and the other thing and and uh i had an appointment uh, a couple weeks like a week and a half ago two weeks ago now at this point uh two weeks ago and uh it was with not my primary care provider because my primary care provider was not available uh, and so they just say, hey, would you like to talk to someone else in the network? And I'm like, I guess. Why not? Eh, might as well. Might as well start getting this stuff nailed down. And and they ordered a whole other round of testing. <laughs> they did not tell me what these tests are for. Usually I don't ask. Because yeah. we talk about like, okay, well, here's what's bothering me. And he's like, all right, well, we're going to run some tests. And uh, so they started me on a couple of medications. And took a little blood took a little urine that kind of thing and fluids so they <laughs> gross ew gross but they started uh, I, I they have to release these test results to the patients per uh, law and so there, yeah. there's an online portal that you can go to I, I use Kaiser Kaiser has an online portal that you go to and you log in and put all your information in, and all of a sudden it's got a thing called t- lab and test results. And all of your test results show up in this this list as they become available. But I also get emails and I get a text message at the same time saying, hey, you got new lab results available. And I, and I pop into in these... your patient portal. Right. I go into these, these results oftentimes just looking, 
And I mean, I don't know what the hell most of these things are. I've had to Google a few of them to try and make sense of them. But uh, this last round of tests was just a series of blood tests. And uh, they started coming back. Like, I think I got something like 10 or 15 test results. And it was all stuff I didn't know. Everything was in the nominal range. Nothing bad that I was aware of. And then all of a sudden, I got a, a hepatitis test result. Negative, thankfully. Oh, I did get an HIV test, apparently. And that came back negative, thankfully. Um, okay, yeah. So I started getting a, a whole bunch of test results back. Just bing, bang, boom. Hepatitis test results. HIV test results. Syphilis test results. All of these, it's like, what the fuck happened? If you're going to, like, STD panel me, shouldn't they tell me they're going to STD panel me? I don't know. You would think so. Because <clears throat> that's not, like, a result that you want to see coming at you out of the blue without any kind of preparation for it. Right. Oh, my God, I got an HIV test back. Oh, guess what? It's positive. What? Surprise, motherfucker. Now, all... Where did that come from? <laughs> I just started sending my wife text messages going, well... I got my uh, syphilis test back. It was negative. She said, why did you take a syphilis test? I said, I didn't. Not that I, I was didn't, aware of. I didn't, but they gave me one. <laughs> they took my fluids and did whatever they were going to do with them, and that's what happened. So, I mean, it was, uh, it's was. it been an odd week of just getting randomly hit up by my, my patient portal and all these weird test results. And Thankfully, all of them uh, seem to be in the area that I want them to be in as far as negative and positive and whatnot, so uh, no surprises, which is good. Surprises on those levels. Yeah, the medical been... stuff is fun. <laughs> Not really. I had to go back to the urgent care in Pennsylvania um, on Friday of last week. Uh, because I woke up with a sore throat again, and I thought, oh shit, we're not doing this again. Yes, we Your are. Your boy got strep throat again. <laughs> Your boy got strep throat again. Now, I don't, I, I've, I've said this a couple of times, I had not had, up until like maybe 18 to 20 months ago, not even within two years, uh, within two years, but not more than two years, I had not gotten strep throat since junior high. It's that sort of communicable, like, uh, that's going around thing that they send notes home to your parents about. And I got it then. And then I hadn't had it for years and years and years until about, I want to say, like I said, 18 to 20 months ago. And then I came up with it and I thought, that's weird. That's out of nowhere. And then it's been five or six times over the last two years. And I just can't imagine why. I don't know. I'm not doing anything. Every time it happens, I wash my sheets. I boil my curtains. I throw out my toothbrush. But the most recent uh, doctor that I saw at the urgent care in, uh, in Pennsylvania said, well, I guess you're just a carrier. And I looked up while he was out of the room. Well, I guess that's a thing. I guess that's a thing. But I don't know that, I mean, not that I want to question somebody who's forgotten more about medicine than I will ever know, but he said, you're just a carrier. But then I looked it up while he was out of the room on my phone. And if you're a strep carrier, you have the opportunity to maybe infect other people around you, but you yourself have a low-grade version of it all the time that doesn't necessarily produce any symptoms. And me, I wake up with a sore throat and I go, oh, fuck, am I back on this ride? And I go back and they set me up with another 10-day course of augmentin or amoxicillin and it knocks it out for a while, and then it comes back three or four months later. <laughs> so apparently what I need to do is... Uh, one of our guitar players, TJ, had to take off a little bit of time uh, because he has a newborn. I'm going to have to tell the guys, sometime maybe over the winter when gigs slow down in, in, in freezing-ass Milwaukee anyway, I'm going to have to say, hey, I had to schedule a tonsillectomy. Now, a tonsillectomy as an adult 
sucks. Uh, you know, as a kid, they they always try and tell you, oh, you can eat all the ice cream you want. First of all, A, no, I can't because I'm diabetic. But also, you know, yeah, but also, um, it, apparently the older you get, the, the more, the, the harder things are to heal and the longer they take to shape up. And I'm a little terrified uh, about doing anything with my, my, my throat because I'm, I'm singing pretty regularly now in front of people. Um, and I just don't know what that's going to change or how long it's going to knock me out for. And uh, so I'm a little bit scared to, uh, to to do it, but uh, I can't keep getting strep throat every three or four months either. No, I mean that's The gamble that I take with that, being in a band where I have to sing and I have to actually have my voice in decent shape. Thankfully, every time I've gotten this, it hasn't been like the day of or even the day before a gig. But sooner or later, the numbers are going to line up, and that's going to happen. And the antibiotics they always kick in about 48 hours. You start to feel fine after two or three days but um you know those first two or three days you feel like you're gargling broken glass just it, everything hurts it hurts to swallow it hurts to talk you you, you croak you, you can't speak much less sing so it's just uh I, I don't want to roll the dice on this any longer than directly necessary so i'm gonna have to probably schedule that but that also means that i'm gonna have to schedule some time where i can't be on a microphone in any capacity so talking to you and talking to the folks listening is also going to have to be tabled for maybe a week or three um, so I don't want to do that to anybody. There's people counting on me. I have to keep the, the pipes in shape for a couple of different things I do with my life. But, um, you know, I also can't keep getting strep throat on a regular basis. So we'll, we'll, we'll figure well, something out. There's something we can figure out. We can get a guest host in or we could, you know, do a few at a time and, and make a backlog again like we don't do anymore. And sure. We can figure it out. Your health comes first, sir. Well, I appreciate that. One way or the other, we'll work around it. We always do. Absolutely. So, yeah, I mean... That's just my dumb little medical update, your dumb little medical update. Boy, get, yep. getting old is a treat. A treat. You know, I don't recommend it, but like I said, the alternative is more for, it's a lot more horrifying. So if you have to get old, then at least uh, do it gracefully, not like I'm doing it. <laughs> I don't do anything gracefully. Me neither. I go kicking and screaming. That's how I prefer. That's how I came into this world, and that's how I'm going to go the fuck out of this world. <laughs> Kicking, screaming, naked, and covered in blood. If you know how to live, you can do that on both ends. Right. Uh, another thing I wanted to bring up before we kind of get into the meat and potatoes of everything today, get down and dirty with it, is uh, uh, I read an article that was talking about uh, James Earl Jones uh, retiring yeah. as the voice of Darth Vader, finally. And James Earl Jones, he's he's been doing it since 1977, so... Uh, yeah, he's been doing a great a great long time. I mean, he's not been the only voice of Darth Vader. They have used stand-ins and sound-alikes and things like that for video games or uh, like Clone Wars. I think they used a different actor, but uh, uh, he is now ninety-one years old, soon to be ninety-two, and uh, I think he just decided, you know what, I'm done. Enough's enough, and he's. He just retired, and now he didn't retire just solely Dunzo, Funzo. He he said, I'm done, but you can use my voice through AI, as you can do now, and synthesize mm -hmm. new Darth Vader with old Darth Vader. So basically, his voice can carry over into perpetuity, which is kind of a neat technology. Yeah. 
It is, but it's also a little bit ghoulish. Like, I just... <laughs> I mean, if he's still alive... In, in this instance, it, it bothers me a little less than, than some other instances of this kind of thing happening. Like when they had Gene Kelly dancing with a mop in that ad, or when they put a holographic Tupac up on stage at Coachella. That was a little ghoulish. That's like, hey, even though you're dead, you still have to dance for my amusement. You know, that just <laughs> bugged me. I find your lack of faith disturbing. Um, but if James Earl Jones is giving his blessing on it, which it sounds very much like he clearly is, and if they have the technology to do it, they've had this technology for a couple years, and it, it scares me a little bit on a couple levels, because it's kind of like the deepfake the thing, deepfake, yeah. the deepfakes have gotten so good now that you could, in theory, but through a combination of deepfake technology and voice synthesis, you could, in theory make anybody say anything and it's getting hard like for years photo evidence or video evidence uh you can believe with your own eyes but now we have this technology that's available and i know that it, all it's going to take is for some you know asshole like our former president uh to say you know something like oh that wasn't me no they did the deep think they used the voice synthesis there's impressionist blah, 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 whatever to say to try and weasel out of, of, of admitting that he said things he said i know that's around the corner that's next oh yeah or Somebody with, with nefarious intent can, can put words into the mouth and the overall face of anybody they want and make them say anything they want. So initially when the deepfake thing started happening, it was just, you know, you get 15-second pseudo-porn clips of, like, some celebrity who would never have agreed to do porn. Or when Photoshop first came out, you know, 25, 30 years ago, they were, like, Photoshopping the faces of famous celebrities onto nude models and saying, hey, so-and-so posed for this photo. And it's like... If if you know what you're looking for, you can spot the fakes, but at the same time, there's always going to be people, clearly, as we've seen over the last couple of years with politics and COVID and everything else, who decide to tailor reality to fit the, the facts they want to believe rather than what reality actually is. So it's really cool they can do this, but it's like any technology. You know, If it falls into the wrong hands, it could be really destructive. If you know how to split an atom, you can power a city or you can level one. It just really depends on the intention of the person who right. has the technology in their hands. So it's neat. It's neat as shit, and I'm looking forward to seeing what they do with it. But it also kind of scares me that that's even available. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I just kind of like the idea of James Earl Jones being the voice of Darth Vader for now and forever, but... In perpetuity. I, I get it. I get what you're saying. It is any kind of power like that is the ability to be mis misused and abused. So yeah. Will you guys behave. If you have a toaster, you can make a lovely breakfast, or you can drop it into the bathtub. It really just depends on what you want to do with your life. <laughs> a rather visceral example. Uh, well, you know, any technology is only as good as who's using it. All right, and you want to talk about the last thing? Yeah, um, you sent me this link yesterday. I'm not gonna. I'm gonna let you do it because it's your story, and I wouldn't have been. Well, I probably would have heard about it today. But you're Johnny on the spot with all the pop culture stuff. It so is you everywhere. sent me an article yesterday that I immediately sent to some friends, and then uh, immediately posted on my Facebook, and uh, we're all just super excited about it. Right. Uh, as of yesterday, Tuesday, when before we recorded this, uh, Ryan Reynolds made it Instagram and and Twitter official. Uh, with a video that he posted about uh, Deadpool 3. And in this post, or in this, not really, it's like a video, a short video, like a 30-second video, he's talking about how he wants to put on the best he can and do everything he can for this movie, and he's got nothing. Because it is and, Deadpool's intro to the MCU. Right. So he wants to make it mean, mean something and impactful and things like that, and he says, and I've got nothing. So he just kind of turns over his shoulder and goes, Hey, Hugh, you want to play Wolverine one more time? Yeah, sure, Ryan. 
So that was Ryan Reynolds and Hugh Jackman's way of announcing that Wolverine, as played by Hugh Jackman, will be in Deadpool 3. Now we don't know what that means yet. How, the whys, the, we don't know any of that shit. But it doesn't matter. I mean, we're going to get not no, we get Deadpool and Wolverine in the MCU played by their character actors who have made these characters defining. I mean, it is big, big news. Big news. And and Ryan Reynolds is such a force of nature, and he's such a, a powerful person in Hollywood. Even though he just sort of like, you know, he's got this really easygoing manner in his Q score, so everybody loves this guy. You know, men want to be him, ladies want to be with him, some men want to be with him, some ladies want to be him, you know. He, but it's, uh, he could it's get such this. a cool thing. I'm just saying, he, 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 you know, he could get this. Ryan Reynolds is the guy that even your most homophobic friend is like, hey man, I heard you nailed the dude. Yeah, Ryan Reynolds. Boom. What do you got? <laughs> How you like me now? Even your most homophobic friend would be like, oh, dude, did he hold you afterwards? Yeah, and he smelled like cinnamon and sunshine. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> Ryan Reynolds is so un unimpeachably likable yeah. that he could get away with doing anything. And so the fact that he kind of smirks at the camera and raises his eyebrows a little bit at the end of this video, all of us were in the second that he showed up and said there's new Deadpool coming. But the fact that we not only get Deadpool's intro to the MCU, but also Hugh Jackman as Wolverine's official entry into the MCU... I mean, look, I don't know how old Hugh Jackman is. I'm not going to look it up. He's been playing Wolverine since the 90s, I think. Uh, he's definitely over 50. So, you know, the fact that, that Wolverine is an ageless character and, and Hugh Jackman is, is an extraordinary human, but still human. Um, but nonetheless, I don't give a shit if he's 90. If he could put on the claws and the, and the hair and <clears throat> do the thing... I, uh, I'm here for it. I don't give a shit. I want to see this. And they've been teasing this for years because everybody knows it's kind of like a, uh, a Jimmy Kimmel, Matt Damon thing. They're great friends, but they've had this kind of like, you know, sniping at each rivalry, other sooner rivalry yeah. in, in the entertainment press for a long time, even though they're, they're the best of friends. So this was probably inevitable, but it's just so amazing. And it's going to be, it's, I think they said June 24th of 2024 is the day. Just wonderful to have the confirmation on that. He's 53, by the way. And he looks great. Ah, good three. lord. Absolutely. Yeah. I just hope he doesn't put his body through the same thing that he always has when he plays Wolverine before, where he pumps himself up to a ridiculous degree and then dehydrates for three days to do the shirtless scenes. Because uh, as we illustrated earlier on in this podcast, Hugh Jackman is in better shape than, than, than me, uh, but he's still older than me. Uh, and I know how hard things are getting for me when I'm in my late 40s. And he's got a couple years on me, so... He'll be great. He is great because he's Hugh Jackman. He's going to do wonderfully. And seeing him and Ryan Reynolds play off of each other, especially as much as Wolverine and Deadpool have done so on the page, it's, it is going to be brilliant. There's no way it could possibly disappoint, especially with those two embodying those characters. So, I, you know, like my, my main motivation to get uh, doing the thing that you're doing, working out, is so I can live long enough to see this movie. I agree. I'm right there with you. If it, I, it, they say spite's a great motivator, but nerdery is an awesome motivator as well. Just keep me alive so I can keep watching Marvel yeah. movies and keep watching Star Wars movies, and that's all I want to do. That's how I want to live my life. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. you know, see my kids grow up and all this thing. You know, whatever. Blah blah blah. But, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> okay, that too. But like mostly the nerd stuff. Right. Um, but yeah, I'm excited. It looks good. Uh, the end of the video, they showed the Deadpool logo, and then all of a sudden, three slash marks appeared over it. Oh, yeah. With the classic snicked sound effect. Yep. I mean, just, there's no way this could suck. 
There's just no way. And if it does, so, you uh, fucked you know, up. I, but it won't. We, we know it won't. Because it's Marvel. That's the thing. Like, the Deadpool movies have kind of been outside the MCU technically for a while. And, of course, the fourth wall-breaking thing that Deadpool does, he's highlighted that when he's talking about, oh, is this more the Patrick Stewart or the James McAvoy, you know, that we're talking about? Which All these multiverse things. And, you know, even though this is kind of being looked at as Deadpool's intro to the MCU, he's... They, they, Ryan Reynolds is, is, is Loki. He is so sort of uh, mischievous and just so impish that... Uh, he kind of already did that when he did a um, a thing with uh, with Korg uh, as Deadpool. Um, because Taika Waititi and Ryan Reynolds, of course, very famously starred together in Free Guy, which is getting a sequel. So um, it, there was a, a short video that came out of those two like kind of making fun of the Free Guy trailer before Free Guy released. And they appeared together as Korg and Deadpool sitting on a couch. So that's kind of like... A, a sort of a no pun intended backdoor introduction of uh, of Deadpool to the MCU, kind of in a way, in a manner of speaking, um, because that's just kind of what he does. I mean, it was a a throwaway little YouTube video that the two of them did, but it was the first time that that Deadpool has appeared on screen with another MCU character. Right. So I mean, there's just so much excitement surrounding this project, and it's been rumored for so long, and 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 the fan service accusations have been flying since before, but. Nonetheless, I mean, let's not forget, Deadpool started off because that original test footage was leaked onto the internet. Uh-huh. And uh, the appetite for seeing the full movie was just so high that uh, they couldn't help but lean into that and, and make the films they did with the original Deadpool 1 and 2. So I'm I'm stoked. I'm stoked, and uh, I can't wait to watch it. Likewise, sir. Likewise. Now, what we kind of wanted to talk about today, now, I had the opportunity to, I, I, I did this kind of as an early birthday present to myself. I, I got tickets uh, for a thing in Seattle last weekend as we record. Uh, me and my buddy Lee, shout out Lee Packard, what's up buddy? Uh, we went up to Seattle to catch the Kevin Smith Convenience Tour for his new movie Clerks 3. And of course... This is no mere screening of the movie. This is, of course, the screening of the movie with the Q&A with Kevin Smith afterwards. And so, right. really, really cool. I've met Kevin a couple times now. Uh, I've actually got to shake his hand at one point, and, and just a really super chill dude. Uh, when you smoke that much weed, I think you have to be chill. There's no real way around it. Yeah, by law. <laughs> but uh, he was talking about, uh, he used to have a... a a relative that lived in uh, Federal Way, Washington, which is about uh, 15, 20 miles south of Seattle, about 45 minutes north of where I live. Uh, and he used to go to what was affectionately known as the SeaTac Mall back today. Uh, SeaTac Mall has become a place called the Commons now. They tried to gussy it up a bit, and uh, it didn't work. But uh, he was talking about the places that he went to to sightsee. He went to a place called uh, Scarecrow Video in Seattle, which is one of the last uh, independent video stores still available. And he had a good old time in there and was chatting movies up with the guy that worked there. And he's like, they've got this section of directors where, like, shelves broken down by director. And uh, he was very disappointed to learn they did not have a Kevin Smith section. Uh, So he said, I kind of wallowed in that and I went to SeaTac Mall which is not SeaTac Mall anymore but I ended up going down there and they had two stores that were of interest to me they had uh, they uh, he said they had a store that was all just hats because if anyone knows Kevin Smith he's always wearing a hat 
exist and they have yep. these wonderful things that are there's these hat boxes that keep your hats from getting crushed in your luggage and i swear to god your hats and your weed it keeps it all fresh in your luggage and and <laughs> get a big laugh out of that and and then he said and then they had a place <clears throat> called zoomies which is a skate shop and and i was about yeah. 45 years too old to be in that place but they sold jorts and as anyone who knows me knows i love jorts and uh, so he's talking about that and then uh as a postscript to that scarecrow video posted a twitter the next day having rectified the situation because now they have a kevin smith section of not only movies he directed but also things that he's acted in as well so which are not always the same thing i mean a lot of time they are but it's not always the same thing he's a a known quantity in Hollywood now, whether they want to admit it or whether he does. <laughs> so he's, he's had an opportunity uh, to do uh, some other things. Now, I've never met Kevin. Uh, I've been in the same room with the dude. I went to a, a taping of Hollywood Babylon with he and Ralph Garman nice. when I lived in L.A., and I almost ran over Jason Mewes coming out of the bathroom. So I, I got a chance to spend about 30 seconds with Mewes, and he's obviously cool as shit. Yeah. Um, but I have tickets to see the Convenience Tour on November 5th when it makes its Milwaukee stop. Um, now, I already have seen the film. Um, there was a, uh, a Fathom Events film screening um, at the theater about 10 minutes away from me the day that it opened on Tuesday, whatever the day that it was, like two, three weeks ago. And I did go and see it then. And I had tickets, actually, because they were doing two screenings, one on Tuesday and one on Thursday. And I bought four tickets, thinking, you know, ambitious. I didn't know if I was going to be able to bring a friend or whatever, or if Steph was going to be here. Uh, Timing-wise, I bought the tickets a couple of months ago when they went on sale. Um, but I bought four tickets. Um, only one of the four tickets for the two different screenings got used. I went on Tuesday. I did not go back on Thursday. Um, because as much as I enjoyed the film, it, it, it does pack kind of an emotional wallet. But we're going to keep the spoilers to a minimum on this. Because right, yeah. anybody listening... We haven't passed that might, spoiler and, moratorium yet. Right. We definitely haven't. The convenience tour is still playing out in, in cities across the country. And um, and from what I understand, the video comes out on DVD and, and Blu-ray and, and and digital, I think, in the middle of October. Which is fucking weird, because the convenience <laughs> tour will still be going on. And obviously, I mean, there's more to the convenience that's, tour that's than just the seeing Q&A. the movie. That's the You're there, you're there the for Kevin, so... Yeah, so, but it's, for a movie to come out in September and then be released on, on video streaming and DVD in October, that's a pretty tight window. But Kevin Smith is an indie filmmaker. This is an indie film. He's always been an indie filmmaker, despite his, his dips into mainstream film and, and Hollywood money with things like Cop Out and Rats and Jersey Girl. But we'll get into all that in a minute. We're going to kind of touch on the Askew universe as a whole as we kind of go down the line here. But, but I, Clerks is, the original Clerks, is far and away, hands down, bar none, not even close, my favorite film of all time. Absolutely. And the reason being, because at that time, this whole Generation X thing, we, we had a name thanks to Douglas Copeland. Um, there were filmmakers that were trying to make movies that sort of appealed to this emerging demographic. Uh, things like Singles, which is a great movie, um, or Reality Bites, which I had the poster for. Um, that's the one I was trying to think of. Uh, these were movies that were well-meaning, and they, they starred you know, emerging stars, your Janine Garofalo's, your Ben Stiller's, people that were kind of identified with the movement at the time. Right. Um, but they were still written by people who were studio executives and, and, and studio screenwriters and that kind of thing. So they didn't quite get it right. It was a nod, but it wasn't correct. And then all of a sudden we had Clerks 
the Clerks came along. That was the first sort of like for us and by us movie that was made by somebody who was in our age group. Clerks very famously cost $27,575. It was made through a combination of insurance money that Kevin Smith got when when uh, his, his hometown flooded and his car was ruined and he and Muse both had cars that were ruined. He sold a bunch of comic books, he maxed out a bunch of credit cards, and he made his ass a movie. Yep. And that was during the time when like Richard Linklater was making Slacker and there was just a lot of indie film going on. Um, and so he made this movie... And this was uh, during a time when you could make an indie movie and then you might get interest from film festivals, things like Sundance, things like, you know, uh, all the different uh, uh, Tribeca, all these, these independent film festivals. And that's what happened. And I remember reading that Kevin Smith went to the screening of Clerks at Sundance and there were maybe 10 people in the crowd. But one of those people happened to work for the Weinstein Company, which, boo. you know, obviously in the intervening years, boo. Uh, Harvey is uh, is a sex predator, and uh, his brother is is no better. Uh, even though he you know didn't necessarily get accused of anything directly, um, he didn't stop him. Even though he knew what was going on, and Harvey Weinstein is also a villain. Particularly, is it you know beyond the sexual? Let's just put the sexual assault aside. Let's just put the abuse of power and the rape aside, which is a fucking weird thing to say because as it particularly pertains to Kevin Smith, he is holding dogma hostage. He still has the rights to dogma and will not give them back to Kevin Smith. But be, be that as it may, neither here nor there. One of the Weinstein folks, Weinstein, whatever, doesn't matter. He's a predator. Don't get his name right. Saw Clerks during its screening of like ten people, and even though it had a very small audience. Saw some potential in this movie, bought the distribution rights, put it out under the Miramax banner, and the rest is history. Kevin Smith suddenly has a career. But that original movie, because you and I have both studied film. Uh, we both have a, a background in screenwriting and filmmaking and all these different kinds of things. We kind of know what a movie, as it fits the definition and template and sort of paint-by-numbers structure, has to be in order to be considered a viable film that you can release. And Clerks is not that. Not even it a little bit. It doesn't fit the usual structure. Yeah. No. It's it's uh it really is just you, you've probably heard it as being like a couple of slackers hanging around talking about sex and Star Wars in high school because at the time we were all in our twenties and we were talking about sex and Star Wars in high school mm -hmm. and so it rang true it had an authenticity to it and of course they were both locked in in uh, in, in dead end uh, registered jockey jobs which again became kind of a thematic that still persists to this day of Gen X being kind of underemployed and underappreciated in the workplace. Um, we are the forgotten generation to a degree. Every time I read an article that's like, hey, maybe it's time for the boomers to step aside and let the millennials and Gen Z take over. All of us that were in the forgotten generation were like, hey, well, we're kind of torn between you know being relieved that we aren't perceived and being pissed off that once again we're being passed over. <laughs> but Clerks got it right. The original Clerks by Kevin Smith, written, directed, and, and performed in, and produced by Kevin Smith, got it right. It was the first movie that I saw during that era that actually rang true that felt authentic and it just had a realness to it that i could immediately relate to and in that span of uh two hours i became a kevin smith fan and to this day i still am see and i i came into it much later just because i don't want to say i was sheltered or anything but i i, I didn't have that exposure to kevin smith's uh, earlier works and so uh i think i came into it with dogma which uh as i recall was his fourth studio film it's a good on-ramp. Uh, and, and that, of course, led me down the rabbit hole of 
discovering clerks and discovering mall rats and chasing Amy and and these are all just wonderful films on their own but they have that connective tissue yes. that tie that they call the the askewniverse and and that's kind of what we wanted to discuss mm-hmm. a little bit today is because uh, we are both rabid rabid fans of the works of Kevin Smith the askewniverse in particular and uh, just the way that he's been able to continue his filmmaking career uh and and the different paths he's taking to do that now we talk about the traditional hollywood system and and how he had to buy his way in with maxing out credit cards and selling his comic books and and things like that Uh, after that it became much more traditional he was paid a certain amount of money to do mall rats he was paid a certain amount of money he he followed the system to do those movies but he's never really lost that sort of like indie no, cred, and he, even though he's made mainstream films. No, he and in fact, uh, what, that kind of well almost dried up a little bit. And so he went to things like crowdsourcing, and uh, mm-hmm. he made a, a, an NFT movie called Kilroy Was Here that he released as an NFT. <laughs> and uh, it's been purchased, and it will be released from what I understand, and he's helping to, with that release. Um, but he's also worked with companies like Legion M, which is kind of like a crowdfunding uh, service that helps fund movies, independent film. He's he's become an independent filmmaker again because he's you know yes. he worked in the Hollywood system up through like Cop Out, and that was of course his uh, foray with uh, Terry, or not Terry, excuse me, with uh, Tracy Morgan and with uh, Bruce Willis, which of. He's had, mm-hmm. he's had a very illustrious uh, showdown with Bruce Willis. They they oh, they are not friends. They are not friendly. Well, I mean, he's backed off a little bit recently in light of um, Bruce Willis's aphasia diagnosis and his stepping away from his film career. But yeah, Kevin Smith, among other things, existing outside of the traditional Hollywood system. Kevin Smith has no patience for PR. He says what's on his fucking mind. He speaks his heart. And if you've ever seen any of his uh, multiple Q&As that he's either released on online or released as DVDs, and I've watched about a dozen of those. Oh, yeah. Uh, an evening with Kevin Smith and whatnot. Um, he has come out, and he pulls no punches. He'll tell the stories and name the names. And he famously clashed with Bruce Willis. First and foremost, they met on the um, on the, the set of Good Day to Die Hard, where right. Kevin Smith played these sort of like... Um, you know, basement dwelling man in the um, chair, guy in the chair, man in the chair, IT genius, and they met there and, and got along marginally. <laughs> so when Kevin Smith was offered to direct the first film he didn't write, which was Cop Out, um, and Bruce Willis and Tracy Morgan were cast in it as as the sort of titular cop duo, um, he clashed with Bruce Willis in a lot of ways because Kevin Smith has a very um, he's got a stable of actors that he's worked with repeatedly. Some that he didn't, you know, that he clashed with and didn't really work with very well. Very famously, Jeremy London and Linda Fiorentino are both people who've said they don't want to work with them anymore. Although, he, you know, London did say he was coming back for the the uh, still in the plans Mallrats sequel. But anyway, T- um, tension's cool. There are certain actors he, yeah, yeah. There are certain actors he's just clashed with because he has, from all accounts, um, a very particular directing style which works for people like Ben Affleck which works for people like Jason Lee which works for people like you know Jeff Anderson and Brian O'Halloran and the the uh the clerks duo of Dante and Randall uh but it didn't work for Bruce Willis because Bruce Willis is old school Hollywood um even when he was on Moonlighting he uh back in the 80s he had a certain like throwback kind of old school Marlon Brando James Dean sort of bad boy quality which he apparently has carried forward throughout his career 
Bruce Willis is on Bruce Willis' time. Um, if he wants to hold up a take for an hour and a half while he does something he feels he needs to do for his process, he's going to do that. And Kevin Smith is used to working on a schedule and a budget. He gives line readings directly if he doesn't like the way you're delivering a particular piece of dialogue. Uh, he, he watches the clock because he understands time is money, because he's always worked with very slim budgets. Um, Clerks is very famously made in, I think, something like 11 or 12 days. And so he just really, he, he's, he's on a, a schedule of weeks rather than months when he makes these films, and always has been. Right. So he, he had no patience for Bruce Willis's process. But nonetheless, I mean, <laughs> he just has, you, you look at sort of his body of work, and it has this immediacy, this this sort of like you can tell not that it's of a bad quality in most cases but he's been he sort of also uh absorbs the the criticism and he talks about things like yeah you're really not going to see any tracking shots in my movies you're going to see static shots flipping back and forth between the two different people talking and dialogue the most you're going to see and this is again sort of like touched on in a couple of different contexts is i might be in the back seat of a car flipping the camera back and forth between the two people in the front passenger seat uh, otherwise, you're not going to see a lot of emotion. I use tripods. I don't use tracks. Um, my DPs, are, they get kind of a, 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 a testy with me because I don't want to do fancy shots. I'm, I'm just I'm just a get-it-down, quick-and-dirty, print-it-and-move-on kind of filmmaker. And people have dinged me a lot. Like they said, the clerks uh, looked like it was uh, shot on the store security camera because it was in black and white and the, the shots were very straightforward and static they weren't artistic whatever that's a criticism I, I i i embody that and i absorb it and i take it and i move on but there's just a style that he has a very indie cheap but effective sort of style that he has as a filmmaker that even when he has money and time he still sticks to it so you know that it's a kevin smith film he, he's a dialogue guy and and that's what he's always yeah. been he's not been big action guy Action sequences aren't his forte. Uh, chase sequences aren't his forte. He's a dialogue guy. Yep. Pithy, witty dialogue. Funny things. Uh, eye-catching things. But, but not really... I mean, that's always been kind of his stock and trade. And that's why we love him. That's why we love the characters that he builds that he keeps bringing back to us. The Jays and Silent Bobs. Or your Dante yeah. and Randall. Or Banky or Brody or... Friggin' As Asriel the Demon, if we want to keep going with Jason Lee characters. Uh, I mean, he, he has a real penchant for for, for dialogue-heavy, uh, witty repertoire back and forth. And that's something you also see in filmmakers like uh, Quentin Tarantino as well. And, and, yes. and that, I, I think that's kind of what endears me to Quentin Tarantino. And Robert Rodriguez and guys who still, you know, even Guillermo del Toro to a degree, even though he works with effects-heavy things, these are all people that started off as indie filmmakers, and even if they have studio budgets, they still they, yeah. they make the movies the way they want to make the movies. And 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 after Cop Out, Kevin Smith kind of took back the reins and it's like, look, I'm going to make smaller films. I'm going to find a way to make these films. And he made movies like Tusk. Yeah. And he made movies like Red State. And he made movies like uh, uh, Yoga Hosers, which I, I that's one of the ones that I've still not seen. Uh, yeah, we, we share that. Yeah. <laughs> and that actually kind of brings me to... I, what, what got me thinking about wanting to do this episode is, first of all, we both seen Clerks 3. Yes. And again, we're keeping the spoilers to a minimum, but it was a very emotional punch of a film because it really is putting a button on these characters that we grew up with. I mean, yeah. it's he's, he's always said that he wants to do this as a trilogy, and he very definitively made this a trilogy. And... It's sad to kind of say goodbye to these characters in a way, um, because we know that there's not going to really be any more from them, and it just gets to a point where 
seeing anything that you've grown up with and that's been there for you that long kind of definitively come to a close in a way that makes sense, it's just sad to say. But a couple of days after I saw uh, Clerks 3, I ran up, up against this article on Den of Geek, which is a pretty reliable source of nerd news, and we've turned to it uh, from time to time as a source. But they put out this article after Clerks 3 came out, and uh, there's no date on it really that I can see, but they actually decided to rank Kevin Smith films worst to best. Uh, with the exception of Kilroy was here, which, as you said, is the NFT. He only sold 5,555 5, of them. Um, and anybody that's seen it so far hasn't released it. They, they, they are working to get it released in a wide sense, but as of right now, only a few thousand people have seen that film. But they started off this list uh, at number 15, with a movie you just mentioned. Uh, they consider his worst film to be Yoga Hosers. And I've kind of heard that. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's kind of self-indulgent. And, uh, you know, Kevin Smith has always put who he wants in his movies. And that's what he does. And he's kind of run up against the sort of, like, nepotism criticism of, um, you know, putting his family in the films. He's put his wife in the films, pretty much every film since they got married. And uh, Yoga Hosers uh, stars um, his daughter, uh, Harley Quinn, who has been in pretty much every movie he's made since, uh, since starting with Jersey Girl, where she appeared as a little girl in the window. Right. But, um, yeah, so, I mean, whether or not she's an actress, whether or not you're going to look at, at, at him employing his family as being um, nepotism, whatever, uh, the film stars uh, Harley Quinn Smith and also Lily Rose Depp, who uh, you can guess who her parents are from her last name. <laughs> but apparently this movie... Uh, all that I know about it is that they are convenience store workers, which we're turning to the well much there. But they uh, there's they fight little Nazis that um, come out of the cooler uh, as bratwurst, and that's all I know about it. It sounds awful. I haven't seen it. I don't know if I will. I mean, Kevin Smith has built up enough career goodwill from me that I'll pretty much watch just about anything he does. But when this movie came out, I thought to myself, you know, maybe you're hitting a different strain of weed a little too hard, bro. Because I don't know if that sounds like a good idea. And uh, I'm just I'm just not interested, and I haven't been. Uh, so that's one that I haven't seen, and probably won't. Now, it's an interesting postscript. He had uh, during the Q and A uh, section of the convenience tour, because like I said, we're not going to spoil too much about what happens in Clerks Three. Uh, nope. Get off your ass and see it yourself, or wait for it to come out on DVD. Either way, yep. um, someone had asked him about his next film, what his next film's going to be, and he's like, "Well, I can." I can kind of tell you about the next five in no particular order. And uh, so he starts talking about the next five films. Of course, Twilight of the Mallrats is perpetually on that list. He's, he said mm -hmm. he's, he seems to be making ground with Universal as far as getting that one tracked and ready to go. But that's... I remember a while ago we had a series of Instagram posts where he put pictures up of him with all of the former cast members. Yep. Uh, people that we, they even speculated, like London, might not be coming back because they didn't get along initially. But he put up a picture of he and Matt... Uh, not Matt Damon, uh, the other one. Ben Affleck. Uh, he and uh, Shannon Doherty, who if he's going to make the movie, he kind of needs to hurry because she's actually quite sick uh, and not doing all that well. Yeah. Um, and London and all, the, all these people that he you know has worked with before... Uh, and then something happened with the funding. It fell through at the last minute. And, yeah, it was uh, going to be a movie, movie on the schedule. He wanted to. It was going to be a movie at one point. Then it was going to be a limited series at another point. And then he funneled it back down into a movie script again. So uh, it looks like it's going to be a film. He's still working on getting the rights from Universal, but it's it's 
it's going well from what yeah. he indicates. That's the other thing that he kind of has a problem with. He, he sort of like talks about projects in the pipe that he's pretty sure are going to get made and then they get tabled for whatever reason. Because another thing he's been talking about doing for a while is a hockey miniseries called Hit Somebody. And that's been in the hopper for at least 10 years. I remember first reading about that when I lived in Minnesota. I moved out of Minnesota in 2013. So it's been almost 10 years for that as well. well um, I can tell you that wasn't that's on still... his top five list of the next films. So. Okay, well, so, uh, yeah, uh, Mallrats sequel, and uh, what were the other ones he mentioned in the when he was talking about that? He was very excited to talk about this. Now, your mileage may vary on how you received the movie Tusk. I thought it was interesting. It, it, was, it was an interesting film. It was very fun. Um, I forget, who's the name of the guy that they had as the bad guy? In that? Justin Long. No, no, the, oh, the, the bad, bad guy? guy? Yeah. And Tusk has, uh, uh, as the bad guy, it was Michael Parks, by the way. And the, and the whole premise of this movie is that uh, Michael Parks is, is this guy who uh, turns a human being into a walrus. Uh, just a, it, it, well, if you can turn Bratwurst into the Nazis, you can turn a human into a walrus. This is like one of those, another one of those ones that sounded to me like, hey, we smoked a lot of weed and it sounded like a good idea at the time. Right. So... He said, I've been in touch with Haley Joel Osment and Justin Long and, and the other stars of this movie going, hey, uh, what about a sequel? And oh, including Justin Long, who was like, ah, no, really? And he's like, yeah. And, and so the idea is uh, a sequel to Tusk is on that list uh, called Tusks. And, oh, uh, boy. It. Yeah, that's another one I didn't see. <laughs> we'll Look, see. and I, I know at the top of this thing we talked about how he has all this career goodwill and everything. Uh, and I hate to be the guy that's always like, oh, I like his earlier work better. But I will see his Universe <laughs> films until I'm blue in the face. But, like, the other stuff he does that I listen to it and I go, okay, you know what? I mean, every artist has allowed their, their sort of, like, experimental phase and they can do th- – I mean – you got to take the rough with the smooth, and if that's something he wants to do, good for him. I support him in that. It's just maybe not for me, and that's kind of how I felt about Tusk and Yoga Hosers both, and uh, Red State being the other one of his that I haven't seen. Those are the only three of his movies I haven't seen. But as we talked about last week, another like, one with Michael The only Parker. reason that I haven't seen, yeah, I haven't seen Red State not because I'm not a Kevin Smith fan, but because like we talked about, I'm just not into a horror these days. I mean, I'm just it's not a genre that I necessarily feel the. Uh, need to partake in unless it's an extraordinary outstanding sort of project right. and appeals to me for another reason right. but I didn't see Red State um, which is weird because A it's a Kevin Smith film and it also deals with religious extremism which is something that I you know, try to keep a, a pretty close eye on but I'll, that's one I, I intend to see at least I mean Yoga Hosers and Tusk I have no desire to see and probably won't but I do want to see Red State at some point I just gotta be in the mood for it and I haven't been for quite a while Right. so yeah, going down the list here, we, we've got the, the next one after Yoga Hosers being the sort of nadir of his career, the worst as far as Den of Geek is concerned. The next one we've already talked about, Cop Out. Uh, yeah. Not a movie that he wrote, but a movie that he directed, and uh, mostly it's because he does not get along with, uh, with Bruce Willis, but he was quoted as saying, according to this article, um, if not for Tracy Morgan, who is the second time he's coming up in as many weeks on this podcast... If not for Tracy Morgan, I might have killed either myself or someone else during the making of fucking Cop Out. So pretty much just not a good experience for anybody. Not Kevin Smith, not Bruce Willis, not the audience. Just not the film that, that people expected from him. No. No. Mm-mm. No. 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 
Hell no! 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 I refuse. No! No! And then, uh, moving up the list uh, from worst to best, uh, again, Tusk. Um, and the, the article says, and I'm quoting, Tusk began as an extended joke stretched out into a story on one of Kevin Smith's podcasts. There are many of us who probably wish it stayed there. With all the coherence of a weed-fueled diatribe, Tusk follows Wallace, Justin Long, an arrogant and mean-spirited podcaster who unwisely travels to Canada in search of a fringe type he can interview and demean on his show. He should have stayed in the States, and this film should have stayed in development. Um, yeah, haven't seen it, won't, but, you know, that's kind of how it goes. So yeah, Capot, Capot makes the list in that position. Now, he just recently, in one of his uh, films that he's been working on uh, behind the scenes of everything else, with Clerks 3 going on and all that, uh, he, he purchased a theater in uh, New Jersey, in his hometown. and apparently, New Jersey. Of course, New Jersey. According to him, this is the theater that he used to go see movies with his pops at, so this theater uh, has some sentimental value to him, and he waxes very philosophic about... Uh, uh, seeing movies with his old man as being very therapeutic and very uh, inspirational for what he eventually became as the filmmaker he eventually became. Yeah. And so he wrote, he's like, well, what's the point of having a theater if you can't do anything with it? So he used it as a, as a set. And so he wrote this theater movie about a group of kids theater hopping. And so that's on his uh, must-do list pretty immediately as well. So... Uh, and I forget what the fourth movie was that he was talking about. There was a lot. It was a lot to, to process. But the last movie was, he said, this last movie we can't do until about ten years from now. God willing, I'm still alive in ten years. This is the movie that we want to do. Because we got to wait for one of the actors to age up. And the actor that he wants to age up is Logan Muse, Jay Muse's daughter. He wants hmm. to do a movie where Logan Muse plays the daughter of Millie, the daughter that he got in Reboot. So Millie, of course, is played by Kevin Smith's daughter, uh, Harley Quinn, uh, is Jay's daughter canonically. Um... And uh, he had a daughter with Boo Boo Kitty Fuck. What the fuck am I supposed to call you then? Something sweet, big girl. Something nice. Boo Boo Kitty Fuck? <laughs> okay, that's the start. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. uh, and that was the premise of Reboot. Sorry if you haven't seen it. It's been a while. Get out there and go. But Spoiler uh, Moratorium is way more than up on that movie. Right. So, but uh, he, they want to do a movie where... Uh, Logan uh, gets to play Jay's granddaughter. And uh, he's like, we haven't come up with a title for it. And I shout out, how about Jay and Silent Bob Get Old? Because that was the name of one of their podcasts that they were doing. And uh, we got a few laughs out of that. So go me. But uh, uh, it's, it's going to be interesting to see if he can make it that far. You know, and, and the reason we talk about it like that is because he had what's called a widowmaker heart attack a number of years ago, four or five years ago at this point. Yeah. And uh, near total blockage of his ascending aorta. Yeah. And uh, it's got a twenty percent uh, success ratio as far as survivability. And in fact, that's a large part of what Clerks Three is about. That's not a spoiler. It's in the fucking trailer. Um, yeah. 
Uh, Clerks 3 has been heavily advertised as being semi-autobiographical. Mm-hmm. Um, Randall has always been kind of the stand-in for Kevin Smith. Uh, years ago, the he said he wrote piece. the part of Randall for himself. Yeah. Yeah. He said, you know, he originally in Clerks wrote the part of Randall for himself, because that's why he has all the best lines, but then he cast Jeff Anderson after he said, and then I realized I couldn't fucking act. So I gave myself the uh, the, the, the part of the, the, the constant mute, so I wouldn't have to embarrass myself. But he's a better actor than he gives himself credit for. But anyway. What the fuck are you trying to say? Just say it, man. Don't make me ask 20 questions. You can always tell that stupid Amy story all the time, but you can't spit out fucking, yo, Jay, I disagree, or, yo, those are some good cheese fries. Just fucking say it already! So continuing up this list, at number 12 is the Jay and Silent Bob Super Groovy Cartoon Movie, which I did see, and it's tepid. I mean, the assessment of the, the, that Den of Geek puts out for I it don't is pretty think I, I don't think I saw that one. Uh, the, what they say about it, and this is pretty much all you need to know about it, which is true... While it only features a few amusing references to Smith's past work and some superhero properties, the joke runs stale even at a lean 64 minutes. On top of that, the animation looks cheap and is a significant step down from the scrapped Clerks animated series from a few years before, which I have on DVD, only with six episodes. Looks pretty good, but it didn't. It looks better than this movie. But anyway, they don't include that on the list because it was a TV series and not a film. But you know, kind of rounding out the bottom third is uh, the super groovy cartoon movie. Okay. And then at number 11 is the Jay and Silent Bob reboot from 2019. And I kind of agree that this is not one of his better efforts. It is pretty much a retelling of Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back with updated uh, stuff. But this one was a lot more fan service than a coherent narrative, uh, if I'm being honest. It was good. I enjoyed it because I enjoy the characters. I watched it. I saw it in the theater twice. But in terms of being like his most coherent film narratively, it's just not there. But he did talk about uh, at the Q and A as well that uh, the purchase and sale of the DVDs and Blu-rays for this movie, Jay and Silent Bob Reboot, are the entire the entire reason we even get a Clerks three. He said because yeah. the the back end profit Lionsgate. on that Lionsgate's like, you got any more of those? He's like, yeah, I can get more of that. Yeah, sure. I mean, and like you say, he operates on such a lean budget that it's like it's almost like throwing away money not to do it at this point. So coming in number 10 on the list uh, of, of worst to best is Red State. And what Den of Geek has to say is at first glance, 2011's Red State appears like a direct follow-up to Dogma, Kevin Smith's original attempt at tackling religion. While Dogma focuses more on the celestial aspects of the faith, in a comedic sense, Red State hones in on the earthbound people who misinterpret all that dogma to destructive and toxic lengths. Huh. So this, more than any other reason, is why I will see this movie, because I have been very concerned about the extremes to which fundamentalism takes its waning influence in current society. And, you know, I listened to a podcast called The Scathing Atheist, which I love, and uh, the guys on the podcast recently celebrated their 500th episode, and they were saying that way back when they first started this during the Obama administration, they were sort of more poking fun at religion, but now the podcast has become, to all of them, sort of a lot more important. It's still a comedy podcast, but we're currently living in an era where we have enough um, lead-from-behind minority rule on the part of the fundamentalists to affect things like Roe v. Wade getting overturned, to affect things like uh, book burnings of people being mentioned in books that the fundamentalists don't like. Uh, they feel their waning influence, and they're trying to grab onto what's left of it like grains of sand, but the tighter they squeeze, the more it slips through their fingers. But in the meantime, we're all sort of having to suffer under the uh, 
the auspices of, uh, of whatever the, the most extreme fringes of any fundamentalist religious movement can possibly foist on us. Um, you know, if you get into the sort of idea that my religion says I can't do this, I'm like, cool, then don't do it. My religion says you can't do this, now we have a fucking problem. Right. Um, so Red State is on my to-view list, but I have not gotten to it yet. What's that other old, old saying? It's like, religions are like a dick. It's great that you have one, but when you sho- try to shove it down my throat, that's where the problem starts. I kind of yep. always dug that. And if you shove it down my kid's throat, then we have a real problem. <laughs> so, 2007, Zack and Miri make a porno is number nine, and I thought that should have ranked higher. I, I really like enjoyed Zach that movie. And Mary. Yeah, so did I. I mean, the leads uh, in Seth Rogen and Elizabeth Banks are charming. They have some some really great um, other characters in this. Uh, Craig Robinson's in it. Jeff Anderson is in it. Um, Tyler Labine, who's one of my favorite actors, shows up in a cameo. Justin it's just a Long, fun movie. Brandon and very, Routh, yeah, yeah, Justin I... Long. And despite the sort of like uh, salacious nature of the premise, it winds up being a really sweet and touching movie. And it's a must-watch as far as I'm concerned. I think it's really nice. It's a good movie. Um, I hate that it kind of hangs out in the middle of the pack as like being, you know, okay, but not one of his better efforts. Um, what Denna Geek has to say about it, only the second non-esque universe movie in Smith's filmography up to that time. Zack and Miri is still brimming with all the usual Smithisms. But Rogan and Banks do bring sincerity and warmth to their roles, and their relationship is genuinely sweet. So, yeah, that's a must-watch if you haven't seen it. I enjoyed it. I thought it was great. And I'm kind of surprised that it ranked lower on the list than number eight, which was Jersey Girl, which, eh, I mean, I kind of think that belongs in the middle of the pack a little bit. Uh, and Den of Geek, I didn't viewer mind says, I didn't hate Girl. Jersey Girl. Yeah, exactly. No, nobody really hates it. And it had the misfortune of releasing around the same time as Gili, which was an unabashed and undisputed flop. Another film that starred the uh, once and future uh, power couple in Hollywood of Benefer. Um, and it kind of had the, the misfortune of kind of getting sucked up in the vortex of bad press that surrounded their other movie at the time. Um, and because it was easy to bag on, because it was an indie film uh, and kind of a vanity project, they didn't really care for it. So what Den of Geek had to say was, I didn't hate Jersey Girl. There are those of us out there that even think elements of the movie work. Gasp, I know. This is unpopular to state online long since the movie has long been the punching bag of Smith's most ardent fans and sometimes even Smith himself. Yet there's something bittersweet about Smith's first outing outside of the U.S. universe. It glimpses the road not taken. And for that reason, I do enjoy it. You know, and it's cool that Benefer got a sequel. I like that. At least they're happy. Yeah. Uh, and, and that movie gave yeah, us George I mean, Carlin. I mean, any movie that gives me George Carlin, yeah. I'm a fan of. I love George Carlin. Love him. Love him to death. Me too. I mean, he's he's perpetually been one of my favorite of all time, if not my favorite comedians. Absolutely. And I really uh, kind of bummed out that medical science didn't find a way to keep him around just a little longer because I would have loved to see his take on Trumpism. Although we know what it would have been. Oh. It would have been great to hear him deliver it in that sardonic snarl. I loved that guy. I actually, I had tickets to see George Carlin. I was uh, in Minnesota at the time. And uh, I was hanging out at a casino. My folks were in town, and they wanted to go and drop a couple bucks into a slot machine. They had very good luck with those things. Um, and I saw uh, there was an ad saying George Carlin will be here in, I want to say, fall, like September, October at some point. It was March while we were there, and he died over the summer. Oh. So I went and bought tickets that I then had to get refunded because he obviously couldn't make the show. So I was going to see George Carlin for the first and probably only time, but I did not get it in time. So that's a bummer. That's a regret I'll always have. Right. Speaking of the road not taken. Right. So... Coming in at number seven, 2001's Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. 
the Avengers of Kevin Smith's Viewers Universe, Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, was the culmination of all of the interconnectedness of Smith's first four films, filtered through a cartoonish lens and centered on the fan-favorite Dopey, Rosencrantz, and Guildenstern analogs, Jay and Silent Bob. All you motherfuckers are gonna pay. You are the ones who are the ball lickers. Before Kevin Smith made fan service ostensibly his full-time job, this felt like a love letter to his fans while also mirroring the broad male-centric road trip films that were en vogue during the era. And at number six, uh, we have Clerks 3, the uh, sort of uh, more or less kickoff for this, this episode, um, which I'm, I'm glad to see it rank that high. It'd be very easy to say, oh, he went back to the well, he's really kind of making the same movie he's already made three times with the same characters. But uh, what Den of Geek has to say about it is, like Clerks 2 before it, Kevin Smith used the long, long, long promised Clerks 3 to get a little more serious while reflecting on his career, if not his existence. This makes a certain amount of sense. Brian O'Halloran's Dante Hicks was, after all, always intended to be the fate Smith escapes, the Jersey hell of working behind a quick stop counter for the rest of his life. I'm not even supposed to be here today! Oh, fuck you! But as with Jay and Silent Bob reboot before it, Clerks 3 saw Smith's perspective on his own life change after a heart attack. Once again, he gets the gang back together and has them still go through the paces of the same familiar juvenile pop culture jokes, but there is a certain button of finality to this go-around, being as we know Clerks 3 will be the last time we see these characters in these roles. So he revisits the old stomping grounds with a storyline literally about remaking Clerks, but in this case it's to say goodbye to these characters. Right, and... Uh, he was talking about the the reason that uh, Clerks Three has a bit more sincerity to it than Clerks Two. Yeah, he says Clerks. The reason Clerks worked, and it's the same thing you talked about, was because it had that sincerity. It had that feeling of of, of understanding, groundedness. groundedness. It was something he knew. It was his yes. life. This was his life mm-hmm. on film. He said, when it came time for Clerks 2, it was a bit different because he's never been fast food. He's never done that. So that was more artifice for artifice's sake. That was that was Hollywood, if you will. Yeah. And so when it came time... And the, dovetailing with that was the fact that Clerks 2 was not able to be shot in New Jersey. They shot that in Los Angeles, if I remember right. And he talked about that. I didn't get a chance to see the convenience tour yet, but I saw the Fathom Films event when I saw Clerks 3, and there was a little introduction, a short video package with Kevin Smith talking about how, like you said, like this movie came about because Lionsgate sold so many Jane Silent Bob reboot DVDs, and they said, you got any more of those? So he was determined to bring Clerks 2, or no, Clerks 3, back to Jersey, but it wasn't financially feasible with Clerks 2 because there wasn't a New Jersey Film Commission film tax credit. But he said he was able to bring Clerks 3 back because there was one, and they shot it right back in the quick stop, where you and I have both been, and uh, so bringing it back to that sort of grounded place, back to full circle where it fully began, uh, that definitely gave it an, an extra air of, of realism that that had not really been felt or seen since the original Clerks in 1993. Agreed. So continue. I just wanted to make sure I, I mentioned that. Number five, Clerks 2. When it comes to the unwritten rules of filmmaking, creating an extremely belated sequel to your first film, a beloved indie classic, is not high up on the list of things you're supposed to do. In 2006, Kevin Smith opted to do just that anyway, and the results are surprisingly good. Now, I kind of like have certain favorites, this is me talking again, uh, of different channels of entertainment, and when the even the creators go back to the well and make a sequel, I approach these things with skepticism, because I say to myself, ah, that's touchy. I mean, it's this film is legendary for a reason. I love it for a reason. If you're going to go back to that well, you better be goddamn sure about what it is you're doing. And I mention this because I recently read an article 
um, where Mike Flanagan, the director of Dr. Sleep, said that he was going to be making a sequel to that film until Dr. Sleep did poorly at the box office, and there wasn't money for that. Now, when Stephen King wrote a sequel to The Shining, The Shining is my all-time favorite novel, and I love The Shining. Still reread it every couple of years. And they went back and decided to make a sequel, Dr. Sleep. I said I, the same thing. I said, ah, oh, you better be sure. This better be fucking good. I went in prepared to loathe it because how could he possibly top my favorite thing? Right. And then in both cases, in both Clerks 2 and in the case of Dr. Sleep, the novel and the film, I went into it uh, thinking, eh, eh, but I came away from it going, you son of a bitch. You actually pulled it out. Good for you. I, I went into this fully expecting to hate it, but you won me over and uh, good for you. You did the thing. So I kind of felt that way about Clerks too. How can you hate a movie with a donkey show? Well, what's sexier than an elf princess's sword? A donkey show? What's that? You ever see a chick give a mule a blowjob? Oh, gosh! Jesus. If you spoil this, I'm gonna brain you. You gonna keep your mouth shut? God. That's bestiality, Randall. At its finest, I hope. You know, you can't. And I agree with them. This should be that high on the list, if not slightly higher, although it's hard to argue with number four being Mallrats. Now, after Clerks did so well, uh, the studios uh, noticed Kevin Smith and came along with some budgets and said, hey, we're going to make this movie. And Mallrats was was not a smooth road to make. No. Apparently, he clashed with Jeremy London the entire time. Uh, they wanted to recast Jay, who is Jay, Jason Mewes. <laughs> they wanted to recast him with Seth Green. And we wanted to get at least a couple of name guys in this. Um, but Mallrats, uh, it stands alone to me as like, he stuck to his guns, he insisted he was going to do things his way because they worked before, and the studio said, okay, and we got Mallrats, which is really up there. It belongs to be in the top five. Yeah. Um, but what Den Geek had to say is, like many of Smith's early films, Mallrats hasn't aged especially well, but it nonetheless achieved a cult following at the time thanks to its youthful energy and charismatic cast. It's an ensemble caper vaguely structured around two best mates, T.S., Jeremy London, and Brody Jason Lee, who both get dumped by their girlfriends, Shannon Doherty and Claire Forlani, respectively, and then head off to the mall to take their minds off of it. They just don't make them like this anymore, and that's undoubtedly a good thing, but at the same time, the snappy dialogue, stoner gags, visual splendor, increased involvement of then-fan favorites, Jay and Silent Bob, and bonkers plot were enough to win the movie a following despite the lukewarm critical response. It's one of my favorites. I've got it on Laserdisc. Yeah. So, I, I love this movie. I've got the poster somewhere in the garage. I, I'd have to dig it out. And I'm not doing that again. So, it's going to stay in the And because we're closing in on the, uh, on the top three, we can tell what the top three are going to be, but the way they shake out might surprise some people. Dogma is at number three. Okay. And this was, according to Den of Geek, the reader's choice for best film, but it came in at their number three. And what they have to say about it is, how one feels about dogma may be informed by where exactly one first watched dogma. And you said it was your on-ramp to the ISK universe. Yeah. If you're like me and first viewed Kevin Smith's simultaneous ode to his condemnation of native Catholicism as a midday TV movie on Comedy Central in the early aughts, then the heavily edited version of dogma you saw is certainly one of the filmmaker's best creations. The TV cut of Dogma is a quick, breezy, and wildly entertaining jaunt about the contradictions of religious dogma and the complex mysteries of faith. If you saw the unedited version of the film, however, you'd be subjected to a literal shit monster. <laughs> the Golgothan shit demon. What is that thing? An excremental. The Golgothan. A what? A shit demon! 
Yes, and I saw it in the theaters, and I bought the DVD. I still have it knocking around someplace. Yeah. And despite Harvey Weinstein holding the film hostage, it is still widely available for under twenty bucks on DVD. It's just that the money doesn't go to Kevin Smith, and it's not the rights are not owned by him, so he can't make sequels. He can't do anything else with the property. But nonetheless, I loved Dogma because I have a dim view of religion. And the fact that it was sort of Kevin Smith having a reckoning with the Catholicism under which he was brought up and kind of poking giant holes in it, I thought was fucking great. Rufus, the 13th Apostle. Yep. Um, Once again, you know, George Carlin is fucking mint. Yep, Buddy Christ, Loki and Bartleby, uh, the, the, the intimidable uh, pairing of, uh, of Matt Damon and, and Ben Affleck, which I don't give a shit how you feel about those two. That always works. Yeah. So to me, that was one of the better movies he's done as well and deserves to be where it is. I want to mention something about Dogma. And my favorite thing about Dogma yeah. is that uh, when it was screened, when it was previewed for the public and they got the red carpet release, uh, notably the Catholic Church was very, very, very <laughs> yeah. uh, angry. They were upset. Um, and uh, they were... Wait, they were, religious fundamentalists getting upset because people are poking holes in their shit? Uh, that never happened. Shocking, I know. But uh, they were boycotting and protesting at his movie. Uh, the thing is, is they didn't know what he looked like, Kevin Smith. Yeah. So he picked up a sign and joined them in their protest of his movie. And he got mad press for that. And, and like people were interviewing him. And I believe he was even, they interviewed him for a clip on the news as he was holding a sign that they had to blur that said, Dogma is dog shit. <laughs> he protested his own movie, which which wound up Who being a plot point shit? in uh, Johnny Knoxville's movie. Johnny Knoxville's movie Action Point years later that became a plot point where they protested their own park at a uh, at a, a, a public demonstration, which was hilarious. So, Absolutely. We're down to the top two now. And if you've been paying attention, you know we've only got two left. Coming in at two is a film that is near and dear to my heart as well, Chasing Amy. Chasing Amy, Amy. yeah. And here's Den of Geek again. Kevin Smith's third feature film is often regarded by many as his best, his most mature, and his most fully realized. While that may have been true then, and still is in many ways, 25 years on, the movie is semi-problematic in its depiction of male attitudes toward female sexuality. It is important to note, however, that the attitudes are expressed by the characters, particularly Holden, played by Ben Affleck, and seemingly not condoned by the film nor... Smith himself. Likewise, the movie's portrayal of Alyssa, Joey Lauren Adams, the object of Holden's romantic interest, is labeled as gay, but would be probably more accurately labeled today as an example of sexual fluidity. Misunderstood at the time, perhaps even by Smith. Right. But Holden's ham-fisted attempts to come to grips with Alyssa's sexuality and choices are his downfall in the story. And the movie is very much about his attempts to find love despite his limited male understanding and empathy. Affleck gives a star-making performance that captures his charm and every man's sensibility while Adams lights up the screen. Why she never became a bigger star remains an enigma. Smith may have been over his head... Some, Smith may have been in over his head to some degree, but there is still a lot of truth and humor in Chasing Amy and it remains one of the most sophisticated high points of his career. He was dating Joy Loren Adams at the time, I believe. Yeah, he was. So. He's just got this track record of whoever he's involved with, whether it's his wife or if it's a family <laughs> member, if it's his kid. If he's a, he puts him in the movie, and I, I mean, I, to Joy Lauren Adams' credit, I think she was, was an actress before they started dating. Right, and I think he was dating her uh, as far back as Mallrats. She did appear in Mallrats as well as uh, Alyssa Jones. Yeah. So, and Jay and Silent Bob a reboot actually did bring her back. Um, there, there's been so much speculation. I guess he had a falling out with Ben Affleck for a while because Jennifer Garner didn't like Kevin Smith. But, um, you know, Jennifer Lopez likes him because she was in one of his movies. They get along fine, so that's why we're able to see Ben Affleck possibly turning up in more films that Kevin Smith does in the future because they're allowed to hang out again. Um, <laughs> like he's got, but yeah, he's got but permission him, to hang out with his buddy again. You can go, it's fine. Yeah, 
Him bringing back Joey Lauren Adams and Jay and Silent Bob reboot was a nice and very sweet sort of thing. No hard feelings. And the fact that he's, he's indicated he's willing and able to work with Jeremy London again in the Inevitable Mallrats sequel. I mean, and the fact that he's kind of backpedaled on his uh, disdain for, for Bruce Willis. The man is a championship grudge holder, but if something comes up that he hasn't really... It's not something he'll hang on to for life, but nonetheless. So, as we may... As you may have, have realized as we're kind of running up this list... Um, there's only one film we haven't mentioned, and it is a film that we have mentioned previous in the podcast, but not as we're kind of going up this list, and that is number one on the list, Clerks. Tusk. And here's what Den of Geek had no, to say. Yeah. <laughs> if you weren't around in the 90s or were too young to really clearly remember that decade, it's hard to describe just how seminal Kevin Smith's first and best movie really was. Sad to think he peaked in 1994, but whatever. <laughs> Clerks is a product of the then-thriving indie scene, and we mean truly independent, as in max out your mom's credit cards and hope you get into a festival independent. It's also unshakably derived from Smith's own sense of post-high school ennui. These highly specific elements come somewhat miraculously come together and tap directly into the Gen X slash older millennial zeitgeist, which allowed it to land in middle America like a foul-mouthed atom bomb. Yet in spite of that specificity, there are... Things that remain universal about Smith's first screenplay. While pulling heavily from his own bouts of aimlessness and the obsessions of post-80s nerds everywhere, seriously, what would the life of a Death Star contractor be like? Smith nevertheless captures the indecision most young people experienced when trying to get out on their own during the era and maybe put away childish things. In the process, Smith created a distinct kind of long-winded monologue of a film that was filled with four-letter words and grueling sexual insecurity. To this day, those diatribes retain a crisp determination to shock and surprise, and they do. Even the film's raw naivete and amateurish quality remain assets, with the visual and narrative limitations lending it an air of documentarian authenticity. You can smell the condensation on the gallons of milk the film's title characters have to stock daily, and smell the weed emanating from the stoners on the street. It has the immediacy of modern social media, but a hundred times the eloquence and poignance. Agreed. A hundred percent agreed. Yeah. All those reasons and more are why it's my favorite film and has been for 30 years. It's, it's a film that really just, like we talked about before, and we, we can continually say it, it shows off a genuine side of Kevin Smith. It's 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 a authentic portrayal. It's it's his life yes. basically, and that's kind of the way we look at it when uh, it's self-referential in Clerks Three. It's his life. It's it's in this particular case Randall's life, play it out uh, through the lens of Clerks, and so it's real interesting to see that uh, that parallel with Clerks Three and and with you know Clerks and his original. For sure. I mean, Kevin Smith is just 100% genuine. Whether you like him or hate him, he's just a, he's a stand-up guy who does for his friends everything that he possibly can. If, if, you, if you count yourself lucky enough to yeah. be on his friends list. Now, there's, uh, he's written several books where he talks about uh, Jay Muse and his struggle with, uh, with addiction. And uh, Jay Muse has also come out and done a series of podcasts about it. And, and he's very open about his struggles with addiction, which he's clean now, which is fantastic. But uh, there were some really hard times in, in between Jay, yeah. Jay and, and, and Kevin uh, as far as Jay couldn't get off the smack. And he was just, like, basically done. But, Kevin, but there's a reason they refer to each other as hetero life mates these days. He stood up for his friend, and he helped him, and he continued to help him, and that's why Jason Mewes is even alive at this point. And yeah, so he really is. And, and Kevin's loyalty to his crew, I, I don't remember the movie, but I remember reading, because I've, I've read and seen countless interviews with this guy over the years, I pay attention to his career and I listen when he talks, and at some point, somewhere about ten years ago, 
he was working on a studio film. Don't remember which one it was, but he did an interview. Still don't remember where I heard it. It's been a while. But he said, and at some point, you know, I, I, I had some ideas about things I wanted to do, some folks I wanted to bring in that I wanted to put on strings. I thought it'd be funny and a nice nod to kind of like the, the, this thing that I've been creating for my entire career. And some studio executive looked at me and said, yeah, it's not about making a movie with your friends, Kevin. And he, he looked back at him and said, well, it always has been for me. So after what, that, he kind of went reason? back and did a couple of indie projects. Yeah. yeah. It's not about making a movie with your friends. You Fuck, it isn't. This is what I do. That's my M.O. That's, that's my whole raison d'etre. That's what I do. Mm-hmm. And he has proven that time and time again, that you can make a movie with your friends. Movies that don't necessarily fit the uh, accepted blueprint of a movie uh, in terms of like narrative structure or, 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 or actual photography or what have you. And he still <laughs> makes these movies. People still love these movies. And admittedly, not all of them have been hits. Um, kind of where we started off on the list of the movies that you and I admit that we really haven't seen and even in some cases movies I'll admit that I don't want to see I still support him if he wants to do those things Yeah, they may not be for me but I mean one of the things I've always loved about this dude is that he just does shit on his own terms whether it's taking the insurance money from your car and making an indie film or that's looking back at a studio executive that tries to tell you it's not about making movies with your friends and saying yes it is and whether it's like recasting and recasting and recasting the same actors in different roles and sometimes the same roles the guy just does shit on his own terms. He has been a creative filmmaker for his entire adult life, and he's done it entirely the way he wants to do it. And Jesus Christ, who wouldn't want that life? Absolutely. So, again, this whole... Uh, is We can worship at the altar of Kevin Smith as much as we want. Uh, he is uh, a, sure. a geek paragon. He is uh nerd father to a lot of people. Uh, we talk about... Uh, the upper echelon of, of geek tier celebrities like Will Wheaton and he's nerd royalty. Mark Hamill. And all he's that. up there with Rudolph Yankovic and Bill Nye and you know all the uh, all the and, and and Stan Lee who yeah. was also a, 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 turned up in a good a, friend of his. Yeah, they became good friends. Yeah, I mean, you know, Stan Lee is famous for cameos, but he only mostly did uh, Marvel movies. But here he was in a Kevin Smith movie because that's just the kind of guy they are. And who else is going to cast Luke Skywalker? As a character named Cockknocker. I mean, come on. Really. The love this guy has from both the fans and the people that have worked with him. I mean, that really should speak volumes. I mean, he hasn't always got along with everybody, as we've said. But the fact that he's able to work with the same people, the same crew, the same cast, time after time after time. I mean, you got to know the guy as authentic as his projects are. He is exactly who he presents himself to be. He's not only on screen in the page and also uh, in front of the camera and behind the camera but he does these Q&A's he does these these things like he's doing now with the convenience tour and he is who he presents himself to be and I think a lot of people especially in our generation who were kind of raised on this authenticity this just be yourself to the, the you know to, to a degree that no matter what else happens in your life you can look back and say hey at least I did it my way I was myself I never compromised my principles um, you know he is kind of the ultimate Gen X icon and I look to him for that Absolutely. I celebrate his entire catalog. I celebrate the guy's entire catalog. I celebrate the dude's entire catalog. <laughs> For sure. Well, let us know what you think. Uh, are you a fan of Kevin Smith and his body of work? Are you a Jay and Silent Bob uh, fanatic like we are? Or are you just kind of wishy-washy on it? Or do you not care for him? Let us know what your thoughts are. What do you think Kevin Smith's best movie is? Why? Hit us up on uh, Facebook, facebook.com forward slash fuelyourfandom. Drop us an email at uh, fuelyourfandom at gmail.com. 
fyftalentbooking at gmail.com is the backup Gmail address. And you can also find us on Twitter at Fuel underscore Your, on Instagram at, at Fuel Your Fandom. And if you want to toss us a couple bucks for the kids, you can do that at, at Fuel Your Fandom at PayPal, Cash App, and Venmo. And however you find us on Stitcher, on Spotify, on Audible, on Apple Podcasts, on Google Podcasts, we're happy you find us and we enjoy being your ear holes because it's nice and soft in there. All over the internet. What the fuck is the internet? I don't even know anymore. I don't think anybody even knows anymore. Well, from Jim and I, we want to thank you for another uh, trip down uh, our geeky rabbit hole with uh, Kevin Smith. Uh, we want to thank you for listening to another episode of the Fury of Phantom podcast. And please do remember, as we've demonstrated time and again, everything is fandom. And fandom is everything. Take care. Protesters? You mean those dickheads with the signs and pictures of dead babies? Shit, no. Me and Sal Bob are pro-choice. Women's bodies are all fucking business. But what are you doing hanging around? Well, we're here to pick up chicks. Excuse me? We figure abortion clinics are a good place to meet loose women. Why else would they be here unless they like to fuck? <laughs>